0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: A top al-Qaeda operative has issued a video eulogy for Osama bin Laden. Of course, coming five weeks after he was killed by U.S. forces in Pakistan. Al-Zohiri says that bin Laden, quote, terrified America when he was alive and will continue to do so in death. The video includes a poem eulogizing bin Laden. Kate Moody has more details.
0: Zawahiri, who once served as bin Laden's deputy and has long been considered al-Qaeda's operational head, heaped praise on the slain leader in a half-hour-long video published on jihadist websites. He blasted the United States for burying bin Laden at sea and urged the Pakistani people to rise against the country's military rulers and politicians, describing them as traitors. And he called the so-called Arab Spring sweeping the Middle East and Northern Africa a catastrophe for the United States. Kate Moody, Washington.
1: Now there are some, perhaps foolishly slow, so, who have erroneously concluded that uh, once we finally brought Bin Laden to justice on the 1st of May of this year that the job was over with. My next guest, though, I think will suggest that, in fact, we have a lot of work on the road ahead in dealing with Islamic terrorism. Joining me now is the author of a new book, a memoir, really, called From Terror to Freedom, a warning about America's affair with Islam. My guest today is a gentleman um, who is the founder and director of Concerned American Citizens, also the founding board director of former Muslims United, and at one time served as an admiral in the Iranian Navy. Joining me now is Mano Bach. Mano, thanks so much for taking time to be with us on the program. Thank you very much, Craig. It's my pleasure. What, what is your sense uh, when you were seated at home on Sunday evening, the 1st of May, and you heard the news that uh, U.S. Navy SEALs had finally captured and killed Osama bin Laden? What was your reaction?
2: Well, uh, of course, that action was passed overdue. It shouldn't take long. But I was very happy that the devil was gone. But I'm disappointed Even though Osama bin Laden is killed, but the ideology of Islamic radicalism still is alive. I think the emphasis should be more in killing the devilish ideology. Of course, I was thrilled. And many young people in the Middle East that they are seeking for democracy, they were also very happy.
1: Help me understand when you when you talk about the the, the devilish theology. Uh, take us back. I I've made reference to the fact that uh, you were at a time back in the late 1970s an admiral in the Iranian Navy. Now uh, you had even studied uh, at the Naval Institute, the academy down here in Monterey Bay and in, in California, not very uh, far south of us here in San Francisco. Um, when that that whole um, student-led movement took place in in the toppling of the Shah of Iran and, and moving to Sharia law and then essentially uh, leadership by the Ayatollah Khomeini, what was it about that? As you observe that there in Iran, what was it about the message that the Ayatollah Khomeini was bringing that at least at the time, back in the late 1970s, seemed to resonate?
2: Well... Let me go back. Prior to 1970, Iran was a great ally to the United States of America and was a good friend to Israel. And Iran was the only Islamic country that had relationship with Israel. We were going forward for the modernization. We were spending money all over to make that closer to the conventionalized. When Khomeini came, he started with a bunch of lies to the people. Let me quote what he said. He said, Allah has given Iran oil, and we are rich. Nobody has to work to pay for the electricity, for the water, for the gas. Let me get rid of Shah, and I would make free electricity, Free communication system and free oil for everybody. The people fought for it. So it was a bunch of lies. That he started to get everything. So they—they really—it
1: wasn't necessarily based on on some kind of a pure religious message of of uh, you know the, the need to return to the roots of Islam uh, as as an Islamic country, uh, but but rather almost it sounds as if that the, the people of Iran were were seduced, they were duped into kind of a bait and switch.
2: It was uh, I would say about seventy percent for the economy and thirty percent for the principles of Islam, saying that we have lost our identity, we are nobody in the world, America and the West are taking advantages from Iran, England and America, they are ripping up our oil, and it was a combination of the economy and the he wasn't in very much in detail about the Sharia law. You know, it's but very initially-
1: it's very interesting that you, you mention that, because some of the message that we've heard over the course of the last 10 years hasn't changed at all. That, that the West is the invader in the, the, the Muslim world, that the West is taking advantage of, of Arabs and Muslims, and this is a terrible thing to happen. So, I mean, I guess in some respects, there are aspects of this message that really hasn't changed over the course of 30 plus years
2: absolutely not they still are saying that america is a great satan and that is the propaganda i would say in all the media in iran 24 hours a day they are repeating that
1: and yet ironically as much as the message hasn't changed the receptivity to the message has changed enormously. I mean, I'm sure you watched with great interest, as many of us did, just about... A year ago this time, I think it was in June of last year, during the presidential elections and all of the protests that took place on the streets of Tehran uh, protesting the re-election of Ahmadinejad and the notion that the elections had been rigged and so forth. And there were the vast majority of those that were on the streets and some who not just put their lives at risk, but literally lost their lives were the same age, the same students that we saw, that were the driving force behind the so-called Iranian Revolution of 1979. absolutely
2: correct. Iran today, I would say not only Iran, but also the Middle East and most of the Islamic countries, they are actually in a struggle between the two forces. One force, which I call them the youth force, and it is the force of the democracy the younger generation they have access to the internet to the youtube to facebook etc they know what is happening in the west and what the democracy is the other force are the older generation that are very much in touch with the islamic principle and sharia law if you look at the demonstration Going on today in any Arab country, any Arab, any other, any Islamic country, you would see eighty percent of the demonstrators are young people. Those are the ones that are seeking for democracy. In Iran, it was, it wasn't actually debating the situation for Ahmadinejad; they were using that as an excuse to come out, and they say, we want freedom, we want democracy. Still, they are doing that, but unfortunately, they are too much under the dictatorship of the Islamic Revolution.
1: Let's pause on that point. We'll come back to more of our conversation. With us tonight is a former admiral from the Iranian Navy. He is Mano Bach. The book is called From Terror to Freedom, A Warning About America's Affair with Islam. new book, by the way, is published by a publisher's design group and available through the usual suspects, including Amazon.com. We'll come back to more of our conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the program. With us tonight is Mano Bach. He is a former admiral from the Iranian Navy. He's the author of a new book called "From Terror to Freedom: A Warning About America's Affair with Islam." By the way, you can get more information about the book and Mano's work on the web at fromterrortofreedom.com. dot That's from terror to freedom. Dot com and also on the web at concernedamericancitizens.org. We were talking just prior to the break, Mono, about the seductive way in which uh, uh, the Islamic Revolution took place in the the 1970s in Iran, and how that, in many respects, the the message has not changed. And it, ironically enough, the receptivity to same at least in the Middle East, seems to be changing drastically. Help us from the unique viewpoint that you bring through your eyes, understand a bit about what's going on when we see these uprisings taking place in places like Tunisia, Libya, Egypt, and now Syria. What do we make of that?
2: Well, uh, I can see uh, lots of similarity of what happened in 1979 in Iran. It originated with the people coming to the street, shouting and demanding democracy and freedom. And they demanded the Shah to go and change the regime. The same thing happened in Egypt. They asked for freedom and democracy, and they asked Mubarak to go. Mubarak looked like a dictator Shah, look like a dictator and they said Mubarak has got embezzlement Shah did the same and many similarities behind the scene in 1979 it was Ayatollah Khomeini who nobody in the world had heard about him the same is over in Egypt that Muslim Brotherhood is behind the scene in 1979 there were 23 different organizations in Iran that they were either with the monarchy or opposing the monarchy. In Egypt, there are 33 organizations in the same category. So what happens, what happened then is happening now, is coalition of all these organizations voicing their opinion about one thing, Get rid of Obama, I'm sorry, uh, Mubarak, and see who else is going to replace it. That is the one that we have to be worried about. The changes are good, but what they are changing too. Is the one that makes us worry. Let me, let me ask the you toward,
1: toward, toward that end. I, I'm curious because one of the, one of the major different dynamics now, as opposed to what transpired in in your native land 30 something years ago, was the fact that I, I would imagine even even though. Iran, of all of the countries in that portion of, of the world, was a, a fairly sophisticated country. Uh, it was a fairly advanced country in, in many respects, uh, bo- both economically, from a technological standpoint, modernization, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And yet, one thing that you did not have in the 1970s that we have today, and that is the Internet.
2: Internet, Bravo.
1: the ability of people today to know what life is like. In other parts of the world, to have access to see and learn about the standard of living and the quality of life and liberties that are available to people in the first world or in the Western world, information that that uh, teenagers and, and college students have access today globally that did not exist back in 1979. Is it's that... absolutely right. Is, is that difference?
2: Right. And that is the only hope the younger generation are going to win and are going to create a democracy. But remember, the Internet availability over there, yes, it is available, but it is not as you see it over here. It is not for everybody. One out of ten people may have access to the Internet a few hours. It is being censored. It is being taken off the air. It is being continuously they are being uh, punished. You know, in Iran... The people that they look at the pornography, they are going to be put in jail? Do you know that the homosexuals in Iran, they are being executed? This is, even though it is the age of the Internet and Facebook and the communication that we have, but still, the force is there. And they are punishing the people for watching something that is anti-Islamic.
1: So there is still that sort of iron fist, uh, almost ancient style of rule. And I want to talk to you about that in depth when we come back after an update on uh, news and some traffic here, Mono, because I I think a lot of Americans fail to understand the totality or severity of what Sharia law means. I I think particularly uniquely from a, a westernized viewpoint Historically, you know, for example, in the founding of our own nation here, the United States, that, that there was a very positive influence by religion in, in the founding of this nation and the influence of, of Judaism and Christianity and, and, and the, the standard of, of, of laws that it wrought. Uh, And I think some folks are erroneously under the impression that all religion can be good religion, that all religion, even as we've been told that Islam is just a religion that's been hijacked by a handful of radicals, but that, as we've even been told by our own president, it's basically a peaceful, loving religion. Is that necessarily true? And are there differences between the Islamic, or, or pardon me, the religious Influence of Islam on the founding or governance of a nation versus, say, a Judeo-Christian ethic? We'll explore that part of the equation as we go from terror to freedom. A warning about America's affair with Islam, available again on the web at FromTerrorToFreedom.com. Our conversation with the author of this new book, Mano Bach, founder and director of Concerned American Citizens, continues from KFAX.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation. Mono Bach, my guest today, he is a former admiral in the Iranian Navy um, that literally fled the country for his life after the Iranian Revolution took place in the late 1970s. He is now the founding board director of Former Muslims United and the founding director of Concerned American Citizens the new book, by the way, From Terror to Freedom, a warning about America's affair with Islam, available on the web through Amazon.com or from, from his website, FromTerrorToFreedom.com. That's FromTerrorToFreedom.com. Help us understand, if you would, Mano, from your unique perspective. You know, there are some Americans, I think, that, that after the high-fiving that took place following uh, the the killing of Osama bin Laden on the 1st of May in 2011, that they felt, okay, this is all over with, and that we can just kind of get back to life as, as normal. Others that have have heard about the spread of Islam and Sharia law, things of this sort, and and, and maybe are under a a false impression that um anytime religion influences the governance of a state, that's a good thing, because after all, look at a wonderful experience that we've had with the influence of, of uh, Christianity in America. Look at the influence of, of uh, Judaism in the only democracy that exists in the Middle East there in Israel. But when it comes to the application of that belief of, of Islamic teaching, or better put, Sharia law, on the governance of a state, whether we're talking about the Middle East or even some that would push for this in America, what's dangerous about that?
2: Well, let me, let me explain one thing that, unfortunately, the politician or media has actually uh, exposed that. Islam is the only religion in the world that has a combination of two parts. One, the spiritual part of Islam, we call that five pillar of Islam, and the way that Islam wants you to live, the governmental side of Islam. The combination of the both becomes a religion of Islam. This is why we have the freedom of religion, but when a person doesn't touch bacon and says, it is against my religion, that is wrong. That is against the Sharia law. Or if somebody throws in the taxi, the passengers out of the taxi because he's drinking uh, alcohol and says, this is against my religion, that is wrong. That is against the Sharia law. So there have been actually packaging the governmental side of Islam with the spiritual side of Islam together and are selling us in this country because anything that we do, anything that we say, they say, oh, this is against my religion. We welcome the freedom of religion, but we don't want any part of the Sharia law anywhere in the world, specifically in America.
1: And and I guess in that sense, too, we have to understand that that uniquely from that Middle Eastern perspective, when when we talk about the influence of of Sharia law on the state, from their perspective, uh, unlike in America where we always hear comments about separation of church and state, there there's no such concept, is there? I mean, the the, the state is the church and the church is the the state.
2: The head of the country is the head of a state. Ayatollah Khamenei is the supreme leader of Iran, and he is the head of a state, too. Ahmadinejad works for him. So the combination of two are very dangerous. And I wonder why in America they have not started to separate that. I have started with this concerned org that you mentioned to separate Sharia law from the spiritual side of Islam. Who can do that? That is exactly the same thing that happened to the Christianity 400 years ago. It has to be done by the Islamic authorities. That is why I go around the country and I find the moderate Muslim imams, and I have good conversation with them. I have found several of them that are willing to reform the Islam. And that reformation is the need to create a moderate Islam within that Islam that all of us we see we are frightened continuously with. They are the silent majority They have got to speak up. They have got to come out and they talk. So what I'm doing actually what we are doing we are taking we are brushing out the web and uh, uh, the, from the Islam, and we are taking off the veil of the Islam. We are showing the truth of Islam, which part of the spiritual side of it, which we welcome it, which part is the Sharia law, which has no room anywhere in the world.
1: See, I think for most Americans, we, we have no problem with Muslims residing with us in America, living in America, practicing their faith in America. Where we draw the line is the imposition of their religious beliefs of Sharia law upon the rest of us. So there have been some cases where they've tried to push for uh, implementation of Sharia law and the decision of court cases. We've seen this take place uh, in and around uh, Michigan. three cases. Yeah, there's been three cases and 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 you know the the fact that this would even be considered uh, I mean, if you went to court and said we need to utilize, uh, you know, Old Testament law as a means of <laughs> of deciding uh, the, the, the case law uh, in America, the people that are United for Separation of Church and State and so forth would would absolutely come out of the woodwork. The ACLU would come out of the work would all upset about this, and and probably justifiably so. That said, I'm curious. We, we are often told that there is this, and we've heard both President Bush and President um, Obama uh, articulate this, this notion that there is this hijacking of what is fundamentally a a, a peaceful religion. Uh, and I think a lot of Americans are confused by that because the examples that we see of Islam at every turn, from from what's going on in the violence in the Middle East right now, to the devastation of nearly three thousand people killed on American soil, September of two thousand and one, would would rather draw the opinion that Islam is a horrifically violent religion.
2: Let me uh, let me explain one thing even though if you want to forget about the Middle East and the rest of the Islamic country, and focusing only and only in America. Let me tell you one thing. This peaceful religion was the one that made somebody like Major Nidal Hassan to massacre in Fort Worth. It was the principle of the Islamic ideology that has created Anwar al it the most dangerous man in the world that FBI is after him all along is worse than uh, Bin Laden so who makes those are these these peaceful Muslims in America or it is the mosque and imams and the principle of the ideology that turns a person in that condition to create a a massacre so what I'm telling you Islam, we have got to get rid of that part, of the devilish part of Islam, which is based on the hate, intimidation, and killing.
1: And, of course, the challenge there is that there are many that still believe in the, in the notion of, uh, you know, conquer, convert, or kill. And let's, let's pick up with that part of the conversation when we return after a timeout. Uh, Nano Bach, my guest, his book, From Terror to Freedom, a warning about America's affair with Islam. We'll come back to more of our visit as this edition of Lifeline continues. And
0: now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, back to the program, Mano Bach, my guest. He is a founder and director of Concerned American Citizens. Information, by the way, on the web about his organization at ConcernedAmericanCitizens.org. The book, From Terror to Freedom, available also on the web, FromTerrorToFreedom.com. That's from FromTerrorToFreedom.com. The subtitle of your book, Mono, leads to me to my next question. Uh, The subtitle is A Warning About America's Affair with Islam. Uh, No doubt that those words were chosen very wisely. What is the affair, in your opinion, that's going on, and what is the warning that you want listeners and readers of your book to walk away with? Uh,
2: Let me uh, uh, tell you one thing first. I strongly believe that United States Supreme Court should revisit the validity of Islam as a religion because it is based on the terror intimidation, as you said, that conquer, kill or convert. That, this, the warning that I'm saying to America, I see what happened to Iran 32 years ago I see lots of similarity in the modern age in the United States of America. Let me give you an example. In Iran at that time, every corner of every town, they were building a mosque prior to 1979 uh, Islamic Revolution. We loved that. We thought those mosques are going to keep the kids off of the streets. It's going to help the society. Every single mosque during the revolution from the house of worship turned to be the house of war with ammunition with the explosive with the guns and the details in 85 years ago there was only one mosque in the United States of America in the past 85 years we have been having over 3000 mosques all over Plus, recently, with over 3,000 plans pending, I'm asking, why so many mosques? We didn't have that much inflation in the number of Muslims in this country. Give or take, we are talking about 7 million. Why? So that is why I'm giving that warning. Something is going
1: on. Well, there's no question about the fact that we've seen, even post-9-11, uh, an enormous uh, number of mosques popping up around the country. Uh, oftentimes, uh, construction taking place in very expensive parts of the nation at a time when you think, especially during, you know, the Depression here or recession. Uh, where the money come from? Well, and, and i tell you where I'm hearing the money is coming from. I'm hearing that a lot of the money is making its way back to the United States from Saudi Arabia.
2: Now, that is, that is why you asked the question, why I'm saying that we have got to have a clear eyes, open eyes to see what is happening. Put the two and two together. In the city of Temecula, in Southern California, for 150 families, they are building a 25,000 square feet mosque. I'm asking... What, that 25,000 square foot mosque is going for 150 families that partially can go to the mosque? There is a plan. Let's open our eyes and find out what it is.
1: You talk about this warning. What is it that, you know, without, and I I want to be careful about this here, because I, I understand and acknowledge the fact that there are Muslims in America that want nothing to do with the horror and the terror and the violence that abhor all of this. That sadly, perhaps, out of even even concerns of threats from their own community, have been largely silent uh, and, and have not spoken out against all of this. Uh, but but that said, when we think about the relationship between America, Americans and islam or muslims living in our country in many cases as fellow americans what do you want us to understand
2: the Muslims in america there are great majority of them fine nice people it is the ideology of islam that makes a moderate muslim to be a fanatic muslim it is the ideology that we have got to be confronting continuously in america We have, out of the 7 million, the great majority of them are nice people. We have got to know what is being taught in the mosque. Do we know what the imams are teaching in the mosque to the young children? Do we ever monitor them? No. They are teaching, some of them are teaching the Sharia law and the hate toward the United States of America. Is part of the problem
1: here... uh mono the fact that there's also a message here that is being being crafted Uh, In in a religious context that that is resonating with the downtrodden, the disenfranchised, I mean, we started our conversation, Diana, as you talked about ways in which there were promises being made uh, prior to the Islamic Revolution uh, taking place in Iran, promises of a better life and how that uh, Iran was being taken advantage of by the West and specifically the United States. Is there a part of this message that is that is being manipulated by the Imams, uh, by the, the uh, Osama Bin Laden's of the world that, that resonates to those that are downtrodden and disenfranchised?
2: The one that I have studied that is the fact they go into your mind, they let you understand that you as a person, you are nobody, you are the obedient servant of Allah. You have got to do and follow what Allah has told you. Once they take you to that stage that you strongly believe that you have no personality, only the obedience of Allah, that they can feed you anything and everything that they want to. And that is going on in most of the Islamic country. I have no evidence what is going on in America, but I doubt it if there are some imams that are not following the same process.
1: All right, with that said, what do we do? H- how do we respond to all of this, short of creating some kind of a, a, a religious war, uh, in a sense, in America?
2: No, I think that this could be peacefully done. The, the, the fact of the matter is that there are so many millions, moderate Muslim, but there is no moderation in the religion of Islam. So what we have got to do, we have got to create a moderate Muslim by getting rid of those parts that are barbaric, and they belong to 7th century.
1: All right. Do we have to also be cautious as well, from your viewpoint, Mono, on some organizations that, I'm, I'm going to reveal my opinion here, that masquerade as moderate organizations looking to bring about peace and understanding that may in fact have ulterior motives? Uh, for example, CARE, Council on American Islamic Relations. That's I have fact. never been convinced that what they say they exist to do is what the real agenda is.
2: I have never seen anything from care that they condemn the cutting hands, executing the homosexuals. I haven't seen anything. They call themselves moderate, but they are not. What I'm talking with the imams in the various mosques, that they are truly moderate. They are with the interfaith, and they want to have a democracy. Because Islam, according to the religion, is anti-democracy, is, is anti-Islam. They all want to believe that democracy should be brought Let me give you one more point. The Al-Assad University already is talking about the ten points of reformation. They are talking about the separation of a state and, and the religion in Islam. They have started that. This is to the benefit of the Muslims in the world to create exactly the same thing that Luther King started 414 years ago with the Protestants. They have got to do something to create respect for the rest of the Muslim. Those are the great silent majority that are sitting aside and they cannot do anything at the side.
1: Final question for you tonight, because of your qualifications and expertise, Mono, as having been a, na- a admiral in the Iranian Navy back in the 1970s, I know that there's a lot that you know. Probably more details than you could ever reveal uh, publicly. But when we hear concerns about Iran's nuclear capabilities, when we hear Ahmadinejad telling us that this is research strictly for energy purposes, which I've never understood, given such a, a vast percentage of the world's oil reserves sit under Iranian soil, uh, do you think the West, do you think Israel in specific, has cause to be concerned about the fact that Iran has nuclear capabilities?
2: Uh- The Iranian nuclear program actually started in 1954 during the Shah. It was the time because of General Electric and General Dynamics, they made some contract to create some nuclear reactors. Now, they have expanded that one to come to the nuclear power. Do they want to go ahead and use it against Israel or against the United States? My personal opinion, no, they want to have it, they want to have the nuclear power for negotiation. they want to have some power to win. they want the United States to get out of the Middle East. That is why they are having that nuclear program. i don 't think that is stupid that is stupid to use it because right now, as we speak, I, t- I can tell you on the air. There are so many sabotaging going on inside of Iran to destroy that within. And I, I hope they succeed because they aim that they have it's exactly the same program that the South Korea had. They wanted nuclear energy not for the use against China. They wanted to have it for negotiation power.
1: Mano Bach is a former admiral in the Iranian Navy, author of From Terror to Freedom, a warning about America's affair with Islam. More information, again, on the book, uh, on the web, fromterrortofreedom.com. Also, information on Mono's organization, Concerned American Citizens, on the web at concernedamericancitizens.org.